Creative Coaching Podcast, where we bring together coaches, athletes, former athletes, leaders, and influencers. Everyone has a story, and my hope is that when you listen to their stories, you will be inspired and live your life to tell your story one day. Today's guest is Jeremy Pope. Coach Pope is a lead skills coach and head coach at Athlete Institute Red in Toronto, Canada. We talked to him today about making adjustments in life and how your work ethic needs to match your desire to succeed. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you look to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. I appreciate you, Coach. Thanks for having me. Coach Pope, I, uh, you know, have seen a a lot of different uh, of your Twitter interaction and, uh, you know, uh, a a current coach at uh, Long Beach State, Mark Rogers, uh, put us in contact. And I'm reading up on your article at coachspeak.net, just kind of just, yeah, I was in, I was just intrigued. And I was like, I gotta have this guy on. I want to, I kind of want to go through his story. It's yeah. it's unique. It's uh, inspiring, and and it's I don't know. We can all go back as coaches. I think as a whole, we can go back and say, man, that's that's the grind. That's what that's mm-hmm. what we all we we all had some uh, some variation of it. And so I I kind of want to go through that today and get your perspective. So. Appreciate you, appreciate you being on today. So uh, how were you introduced to the game growing up there in, in, in Southern California? Um, for me, Coach, it, it wasn't really too hard. Um, I kind of was born into it. Uh, my dad, he played at famed um, Compton Dominguez High School okay. uh, when he was in high school or same place where Tyson Chandler, Tayshawn Prince. Yeah. Um, she got the name Kenny Bruner for guys who know to go back that far I know their basketball stuff um my dad went there so like when I was born um I, I think he was just got done doing his coaching there he was about 23 when I was born so I think he just got done coaching some ball and he basically was the one who put the ball in my crib and I've been playing in the same slam and jam league in Southern California that uh since I was about six years old so I've been playing organized ball since I was six and I wow. had a I had a I was a student athlete from the time I was six all the way to I guess I was about 22, 22, yeah. 23. So, I mean, it's, it's been ingrained. And I guess people know the, how big of basketball is to Los Angeles. So, yeah, I was just born into it right like right away. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, I know a lot of guys that uh, got to develop really early on as a player because they were exposed at a young age. And, and for the most part, guys that I talked to didn't get burned out. They just fell more in love with the game. And that's something that that in other sports you can't always say. Uh, basketball, you know, football, you know, nowadays, especially with all the the uh, different data that's out there as far as head injuries and all that, less and less mm-hmm. kids are playing baseball for some reason. Less and less kids are playing, but basketball is yeah. growing, man, and I and I love that. And then of course there in L.A., man, you got Braun and Kawhi now, man. Basketball is really going to blow up there in LA if it hadn't you know in terms of relative to where it's been in the past so that's good that's good news man for the for the game um so what was your experience coach as a as a player coming out of high school and going into college 
Uh, coming out of high school, so I played four years at Mayfair High School, um, same school that Josh Church just played at. Um, and I did four years there. Um, after there, I did two years at Cerritos College. Um, I played for Coach Russ May, who coached Landry Fields in high school. Um, oh. Coach May was a Cerritos College alum, and he took the job my second year. So my sophomore year, my first year was Jesse Toplitsky, who I guess was the first guy to put the ball in my hands as a, as a college player, as a freshman. Then Coach May came in my second year, and then from Cerritos, I left to go to San Jose State um, Division One at the time. They were in the WAC conference. They're now in the Mountain West. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I transferred out and I finished at Biola University, which is a famed NAIA school in yeah. La Mirada, California, in Southern, in Southern California. So um, I've, I've been around some really good coaches in my life. Like my Biola, my Biola coach, he had won over 800 games. I want to say a couple of years ago. Wow. Um, Dr. Dave Holmquist. So I've, I've just been fortunate to be around um, a lot of great basketball minds in my, in my time. That's great, Coach. Now, so um, I need to kind of get maybe a perspective of where did you know coming out of college that maybe you would go into coaching or what, what was your kind of uh, epiphany? Like, how, how did this um, happen? Where did I want to start coaching now? I kind of, to be honest with you, coach, I kind of fought it for a while. Really, I uh, got done playing college, and but to be honest with you, I also knew that I always wanted to coach. I knew from a young age that someday, like the ball would stop bouncing, um, for sure. And I remember a story that my auntie told me. Um, but I did, I don't remember a story, but it sounds like me, so I believe her. But <laughs> she basically said I was around seven years old, and she was she had asked me what I wanted to do when I grow up, and I said I wanted to play for the Lakers. And she said, well, what, if you don't, like, what happens if you don't play for the Lakers? And she said, I looked her dad in the face and said, well, I'll coach him then. So from a young age, like, I always knew, like, coaching could just be a way for me just to stay around the game. Like, from a young age, I was very passionate about it. Yeah. I knew that I wanted to be a, wanted it to be a part of my life forever. And um, But after college, I, I kind of fought it a little bit. Um, I wanted to play overseas. Um, I had a job lined up to play, go to Switzerland. Last second, they ended up taking a guy that was from Switzerland. I guess it was cheaper for the team or whatever the situation was. And I kind of fought it. And I kind of just started working. I was a server at Red Lobster for three years. Yeah. Um, and then my travel ball coach, Dave Benezra, who coaches the L.A. Rockfish program, he also founded it. We've yeah. been around since 1984. Mm-hmm. So he's one of the SoCal AAU legends. And, yeah, um, definitely. He kind of, he yeah, he just pushed me into it. He was, But he's always been that guy for initially he was like, man, come work out with the guys, come work out with the guys, start coaching the guys, coaching the guys. Like, why don't you come around, like run a practice or two. Next thing I know, I'm coaching. Um, So I would say Dave Renez was the one who kind of really pushed me into it. And at that point, I just, honestly, I just fell in love with it. I think I started to come into grips with the reality of me being a pro player myself and also understanding that I wanted to get in this coaching thing and be good at it early rather than later. And I yeah. think that kind of jump kicked that off for me. So uh, that's kind of how it happened for me. So who the some of the programs that you've either been a, a GA at or, or some of the coaches that you've worked with, what kind of roles did they play in your journey? Um, Dave, like again, like David Nezra was, was a guy that put the ball in my hand as a kid, yeah. and he also put the whistle in my hand as an adult. Wow. Um, so he played the vital role. Like I pretty much talked to him. I try to talk to him at least once every two months and just get 
to post just to check on him and get his thoughts on certain things. Yeah. Um, he's done a really good job of challenging me in ways that he doesn't give me answers, really. He just challenges me and asks questions. And I remember kind of fast forward, and I took this job in Toronto, and I called him and kind of let him know everything I thought about it, the pros and cons, and, and why. And at the end of it, he didn't really – it was kind of different. It was a different conversation because he didn't really – it didn't go how it usually went. He kind of was like, well, I've seen you grown up already just in the way you broke that down to me. Um, and I think he's been, he's been amazing. Um, so for Rockfish, AAU wise in the beginning, Dave Benezra for sure. That led to me working for Coach Hopkins at the University of Washington. Yeah. Um, who's come to find out he's a Southern California guy, um, uh, that I didn't really know. And, um, my experience at Washington was a little bit different, I think, as a graduate assistant than anybody else's because I was on staff with Dave Rice, who was also a head coach at UNLV. I was yeah. on staff with Coach Cameron Dollar, who was also a head coach at Seattle U. Wow. Um, and then William Conroy was, well, Will, Con- Will Conroy was our last assistant, and he was all, UW's all-time assist leader. And Looking at his, tra- his trajectory, he'll be a head coach one day, too. So. Yeah. As a graduate assistant, I, I had a lot of pers- high-level perspectives um, from a lot of people. Um, sure. I mean, from our staff, shall I say, that my experience was just different. Yeah. Um, everything I felt like every question I asked was given from a, was the answer was given from somebody who was been, been in the business a long time and have hit, attained the job title that I wanted they want to attain. So my experience at Washington was, was amazing, and then that led from Coach Hopkins to Tony McIntyre. Yeah. whose son, Tyler Ennis, played at Syracuse when Coach Hopkins was, Syracuse, was an assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just kind of lets you know how the nature of this business works as far as relationships go. And, yeah. Um, Tony was everything that Coach Hopkins told me he would be, and now he's become that plus some. Wow. He's an amazing man. He's an amazing guy. He has, a, he has seven children. Him and his wife have seven, seven children. So at this point, they've basically adopted me almost. Wow. Um, some of his kids are my age. So it kind of – I went to a new country, to a new boss, to a new family in a sense. So, wow, that's a lot of support. Th- those guys have been great. Yeah, yeah. So, given like you, you ran down the list of coaches that you work with: Cameron Dollar, Dave Rice, uh, Mike Hopkins. Like that's a that's a wealth of information and, and knowledge that you can you kind of absorb from them. What would you say were mm-hmm. some of the key, uh, I guess, points of emphasis? That, that were made to you while you were with them? Uh, I, I try to, it was, it was a lot, so I try to narrow it down. down. Yeah. I give you one thing from each coach. Um, coach Hawkins was really big on just being different. Um, I know that might be hard for some people who understood, know the game to see, like, man, he plays a 2 3 zone just like he did at Syracuse. Like, that's yeah. not that much different, but it really is. Like, just the way he can take the zone and transform it. To be honest, he was, he was a coach behind for 22 years. Wow. I think people would be naive to think that like he doesn't have ownership over that thing. Yeah, I remember him telling me that you know when Duke started running, it, Coach K reached out to him to how to kind of see how we ran because we ran it different than Syracuse did yeah. in our first year, just because of personal issues or whatever. And Coach Hawkins is just really big on being different on the court in life, um, even in his advice about nav- and help helping me navigate my career. It was it was about being different. So that's one thing I stole for him for sure. Um, Coach Rice, um, I, I use this in recruiting a lot when I'm recruiting for our, our prep school in Toronto. That you know, it's easy to sell when you believe in it. Yeah. And I and I and I kind of step away when I get done talking to a kid or a parent, 
And I realized, like, man, that was easy. Like, that kind of flow. And it's like, I always think back, like, man, it's easy to sell when you believe in it. And Tony McIntyre provided a platform for me up there in Toronto to where it's easy to sell. Yeah. Uh, we had Jam- Jamal Murray and Don Maker, to name a couple. We had four guys in the NBA Summer League this summer. So yeah. a place like that, I mean, it kind of almost speaks for itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anthony yeah. Bennett, uh, you know, Dylan Brooks, guys like that. Just it's 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 a great yeah, program. Like we have a we have a wealth of guys coming out of Toronto. I mean, Dylan Brooks and Anthony Bennett and Tyler and Xavier Rachel Mays, like those guys were Tony McIntyre's bounce guys. Wow. So I'm coaching bounce as well, AUI. So it's like out of all the guys that Tony himself has put out that he's touched, for me to get in there and realize like guys like Dwayne Notice or even Canadian, like I didn't even know that prior to coming yeah. to Toronto. Like yeah. those are high major guys. And yeah. it's like, you know. So, um, and then Coach Dollar, um, I probably honestly spent the most time in Washington with Coach Dollar. I probably was with him every day. Um, and, and one of his things I always latch on to was you can't be a production guy and a personal guy. Oh. Um, so you got to understand what kind of business this is. It can be very uh, rewarding, but it also can be very challenging. And I think when things start happening and it might not go your way, you thought you should have got something done or you should have got a certain job or is that the third? Like you can't allow like your personal feelings to kind of like disrupt you. Yeah. Um, like you want to produce, you got to produce and you got to kind of put your, put your raincoat on and your, your tough, your tough guy mask and just get stuff done. Like people in this business want to get stuff done. And yeah. when you get stuff done, that's when the fun usually happens and start coming around and success then, you know, happens from that. Yeah. Great coach. Now you, you talk about kind of, you know, picking yourself up off the floor when mistakes happen and, and all that. So was, was there ever a time when you were like so disappointed to the point of maybe not kind of still uh, progressing in the, in the, in the profession or you thought, you know what, maybe I made the wrong decision. Was there any time like that for you? Um, that one, that, that slither of, of fear had happened when, after the season ended at Washington, when I was a graduate assistant, uh, I went to Final Four and I got back and I realized, like, man, I'm about to graduate, but I don't have a job. And I literally had a conversation with Coach Hopkins about, and I, I kind of told him, like, man, like, I'm kind of afraid. Like, I don't know, like, what's next or what's coming up. And um, and I, I, I think that because of just the kind of people that I work for, like, I tell people all the time, like, man, my journey so far, I've been. I've almost been spoiled. Like, I've, between the stories that I hear, the horror stories of, of the profession, and yeah. how some guys have to deal with certain things, like, some of those things I just haven't had to deal with. Like, I've kind of been spoiled in a sense, but I think the fear of <clears throat> of attaining a job and knowing what my next steps are are probably, probably were the most kind of gut-wrenching thing for me up to this point. Um, I'm not saying that I won't deal with hard or harder things going forward, but... I've honestly just been blessed up to this point to work for really good people in which in this profession, um, that isn't always a notion that I hear about it, but I've, I've been, I'll tell people all the time, like I've been spoiled up to this point. So, um, my most gut wrenching probably thing was me going from Washington to my current job before my current job was my job. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, hey. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, I hear you talk about that slither, sliver of fear. And and I think I always like to make a point of what fear is and what it can do. Or sometimes it motivates us. Sometimes it keeps us alert of something that we really need need to be vigilant of, of all time at all times. But I don't think 
fear is necessarily like a bad thing. If you live in fear, yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> but mm-hmm. when you talk about fear, uh, you know, people who have no fear or that are that are fearless. Those people scare me because there's <laughs> there's almost like no common sense involved. But it takes mm-hmm. but it takes courage to kind of get through the fear. Not that fear mm-hmm. never existed for guys who succeed and, and get to a point in life like what you're talking about in your journey, but just to have the courage to keep going and to not let it, you know, eat your lunch, so to speak. And I think that's uh, really key. And so, so I like how you how you interjected that real quick. The sliver of fear, man, like that. That's good. That means that means that you you don't have a lot of fear, which is great. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, don't live in it, and if you do, just have the courage to kind of get up, get out of it, and get over it. So, real, Definitely. really, really choice uh, point of emphasis, I believe, for for us as coaches and, and, and aspiring coaches as well. So, mm-hmm. when you work with players, coach, and you're building relationships, how important the importance of words and actions? Because a lot of times they're hearing us talk, 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 and then the actions. How important is that with words and then the actions in your building of relationships with players? Um, I think I think both work hand in hand. Um, I think now I'm at an age where I'm, I'm 28, so I think I'm at an age where, where I, I relate pretty well naturally. Yeah. Um, as of right now, I understand like that dynamic is going to change, and I will I will then need to evolve as well as I get older and kids are younger. It's like the age gap is bigger. Um. As of now, I pretty, I think I relate pretty pretty well because like even social media, Twitter and Instagram, like I was, in the, I think in the middle of my teenage years when Instagram and Twitter kind of first started. So like me like getting on Twitter and Instagram and doing that that kind of stuff like it's second nature almost. Yeah. Um. So, but at the same time, I think coaches need to realize that like you know just like the kid, like you're a human. Um. I know. One kid I have, Shamar Raytheon Mays, is actually Xavier's little brother. Um, yeah. I was telling him earlier this year how I was proud of him because we had these early morning workouts, and he's usually always to bed on time when he needs to. Be. Like he understands himself; he's really self-aware. Yeah, and that's something as a coach that I kind of envy him about. Like, like man, like you go to sleep, you go to sleep on time, you get your rest, you're on the gym, like you're in the gym when you need to be. He goes to school and functions. We don't get hear stories about him falling asleep in class. Like he's really dialed in into his deal. Yeah. And I think when you can kind of be transparent and be a human and don't and not making your your kids feel like you have all the answers to everything all the time, that they feel like there's a level of connectivity that that they really kind of appreciate. To be honest, I think they understand you're the coach and they and you understand that as a player. For the most part, they're going to do what you ask them to do and stuff like that. But yeah. it doesn't have to be um, – you don't have to be a tyrant like when they're not doing something you want to do. Like maybe that's an opportunity for you to grow as a coach and yeah. explain them and talk to them. Like there's some kids that you can kind of let in information-wise like as far as what you and the coaching staff talked about in the meeting. Like yeah. some kids can handle that, some kids can't. Uh, but the ones that can, I don't think there's an issue with being able to kind of let them in a little bit yeah. and letting them know. Um, so from a relationship standpoint, like I just try to make sure that my, my words align with my actions and that I'm also just being transparent and still being a human being at the end of the day with them and being someone that they can always come back to. Yeah. I just think it's a more fruitful relationship when they when they're when they're when they're kinda of disarmed and they don't have to feel, you know, like they're back against the wall all the time. Like, you know, they can come and talk about anything. And that's usually when 
the conversation and the relationship grows because you're now talking about life stuff. Now you're talking about why he didn't turn it in on time, why he was late, why, like, you know, it just allows the relationship to be more fruitful, I think. Definitely. I like what you said, let them in. Uh, I know usually in my experience, you let the guys in who were probably the leaders of the team. Mm -hmm. Um, Here again, not the best player, but the leader of the team. You let them into some of those. You, You make them privy of some of that information so they can kind of be on the same page with you as a coach. And then here again, uh, I love what you said about them being disarmed. Uh, too many kids have a certain uh, a view of uh, authority figures nowadays. Mm-hmm. And if you're just another one, it's kind of difficult for them to, to really buy in and, and reciprocate that love and that uh, caring that we mm-hmm. as coaches have. So I think that's here again, great points, coach. So talking about yourself and how you deal with or process feedback or criticism, you know, being on a coaching staff, you know, everybody, everybody has a voice to an extent. Uh, Mm -hmm. One, one coach has the ultimate say so. Um, So when you're confronted or told, uh, you know, given feedback, I should say, or, or, or criticized constructively, how do you process that? Oh, for the most part, I try to be open-minded before having those conversations. Um, kind of letting my guard down a little bit, being open to know that like it's constructive criticism. Because um, if it wasn't constructive criticism, I probably wouldn't even be having a conversation with the person I've been talking to in the first place. Yeah. So knowing that they're coming from a place of love and, and like and just want the best out of me, um, the way I process it, I just try, I just try to be open-minded and just really good about it, understanding that I don't have all the answers understand that there's there's multiple ways to get an answer um and then I, I have a i think i have a pretty good group of mentors that i check in with um some family members that are close some some veterans i've known for a really long time that i kind of check in with and um i just kind of run it by them and kind of see what see what they think and uh usually for the most part it's it's pretty much aligned and at that point, I know that, you know, whatever the, the feedback or criticism that I received was, was pretty on point. And I don't think I have all the answers at all. I'm 28, and I'm still learning, and I'm still growing. And yeah. um, I just try to just be really open-minded and not be too, again, too personal about it. Yeah. Um, so it's about trying to be productive and getting better and not hard, like, you know, not putting too many feelings towards it, just yeah. taking it, accepting it, and trying to take whatever they advise me to do, I should do better, you know, and just kind of make it, own it and make it my own. Yeah. That's usually how how I process the the feedback criticism part of being a coach. That's great. You know, you talk about staying out of your feelings and all that. That's really difficult for a lot of people. And I don't care how straight-faced and calm Mm -hmm. people seem or feel or, or try to, you know, portray themselves. They're still in their feelings for a lot of different reasons. And right. I think when we take that approach, like you're talking about, it's business, man. It's to help you grow. Yeah. To have a growth and I, mindset. And I, don't, I don't say that either to like make people think that I'm just like I heard just walking around cold hearted, <laughs> like it's, it's <laughs> like a robot. It's a, no, not at all. Like it's it's a it's a working thing for me as well. Yeah. Because um, you know this game, like you're we're, we do what we do because we're passionate about it. Number one. Yeah. So you know, like in the heat of the moment, where there was a game, and it's like, man, like. You probably only did that because it was a heat of the moment. You probably naturally would react it like that or respond it like that or maybe even receive what they said to you like that because it was just in a passionate moment and 
I think sometimes you have to kind of calm yourself down and be able to, you know, go through all the all the stuff and just kind of unpack it and, you know, go like that. But by any means, well, I haven't mastered, not at all. Yeah. I'm just, I'm grateful that I'm aware of it more than anything right now. Yeah, and that's fantastic. When you're self-aware, like you talked about that young man, when you yourself are self-aware, it's like, you know your strengths, you know your weaknesses, you only know what you know, and you're good with it. And it's like, I'm going to get better. I'm going to grow. If I take an L, that's all right. I'll learn from it. Uh, if I hit a wall, I'm not going to hit it again because I'll learn from it. Uh, being self-aware just really makes you more of a threat as opposed yeah. to when you're in the dark about who you are. And people yeah. can, and you can be played like a puppet emotionally and all yeah. that stuff. That's great. Uh, so, you know, kind of talking, you talked a little bit about uh, – the article you had on Coach Speak, and mm-hmm. the title was "Level of Sacrifice." And mm-hmm. as I as I read it, it read like, "Yeah, there's some sacrifice going there's, that's happened." And I want you to kind of run down some of the things maybe that you've sacrificed and continue to sacrifice to do what you do and to get where you want to get. Um, overall, in terms of sacrifice, I just feel that. Whatever it is that you want to take goal-wise, or whether it's a goal, or whether it's a dream, I just feel like however big that goal or dream is, your sacrifice needs to match it. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of just how I've always been. I mean, for being transparent, Coach, I, one day I, I hope to be in a position that I'm able to become a Division One head coach one day. And, yeah. And I feel because that is what I want, that all the steps prior to that, like I need to be able to do things that make me different. Yeah. that allowed me to attain what I want at the end of the day. And that takes a level of discomfort yeah. that I think um, that I have to have in my journey. Um, so for me, it was about just being uncomfortable and understanding that you're going to be uncomfortable and um, sacrifice. I mean, I'm from Los Angeles, California. Like I grew up in Compton, California. Um, and I, la- I now live in Toronto. Prior wow. to moving to Toronto, last July, I had only been in New York, I only been to the East Coast, which was New York, for the first time the year before when I was in Washington and we played in the 2K Classic against Providence and Virginia Tech. So prior to that New York trip, I had never been to the East Coast ever in my life. Wow. And then you fast forward, what's that, about two, about nine, eight, nine months, I'm now taking a job in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Wow. So for me, it's like, man, I don't get to see my, I'm, I have a really, I have some best friends that I've known since I was four or five years old. Mm-hmm. Um, my family's close knit. My girl lives here. Um, my little sister's in the middle of her high school tenure and she's here. And I say here because I'm back home now while we're having a yeah. conversation. But while I'm in Toronto, it's like, I, I, I miss stuff. Like social media allows you to see stuff, but you're not present. Yeah. So when I'm, get done with workouts and practice and I'm just laying up in my room and I'm looking on social media all my friends are having fun family dinners I'm missing um, holidays ho- most holidays you now miss yeah. um, so like that that piece like people think like oh, you're in Toronto Toronto's you know it's a really good place and good food and great people and the Raptors won a championship and you went to the parade and so like fam my, my everything is here yeah, yeah. Um, so I have these conversations with my friends a lot about and if I could just take my friend's family and just move them to Toronto, like that would then be home. Cause I feel like home is yeah. where you make it in a sense. Exactly. Like home doesn't have to be X, Y, and Z street crossing X, Y, and Z Avenue, um, for it to be home. Like home is kind of where you make it, but 
I sacrifice in the sense that I miss those things. Yeah. Um, and it, it can get lonely, but at the same time, I, I know why, and that makes it easier. My why makes it a little bit easier to be where I am and make the moves that I make. Yeah. Uh, but it's a sacrifice. I'm in a whole different country. No way that I ever in my wildest dream ever thought that when I started out that I'd end up coaching in Canada. Yeah. Big difference between the CPT and the six. Big difference. Very. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to Compton. I haven't been to Toronto, but I I imagine it's a little different. The weather, yeah. well, well, the weather's good there in Compton too, but imagine it's a little yeah, different in the in the winter time. But yeah, coach, even, I mean, even snow, yeah. even snow. Like I was a Southern Cal- I'm a Southern California kid, and my 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 perspective of snow was like I had this Disney like perspective <laughs> of what snow was like. Oh, it's fluffy, and yeah, no. and then you get there, and it's like oh, this is kind of different than what I thought. It's like it gets muddy and it's yeah, dirty, yeah, and like. Yeah. You, you gotta shovel on, stuff. On movies. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> shovel. Like, so it's very, it's very different. Yeah, broken windshields, all that stuff, man. Mm-hmm. That's that's how that works. Uh, winter tires. What is a winter yeah. tire in Southern yeah. California? <laughs> <laughs> You'll never see that on a low rider cruising through. Right. Uh, so, Coach, uh, coming to our last question, and it's, and if you've listened to the podcast, you kind of know where I'm headed with this, uh, because of the people who've come before you, your your family the coaches you named, uh, you know, they have a legacy already to a degree. Uh, and now, you know, you're, you're saying you're 28. You still got a lot of time in this profession. Uh, mm-hmm. So where do you want to start now with your legacy? And then where do you kind of want it to be when it's all said and done with your career? Um, this is something I stole from Will Conroy, and I kind of was dealing with the word of inspiration for a while. Uh-huh. Um, I When I got done playing, I wasn't done with my degree yet. So I worked at Red Lobster and um, I finally got back into school. And my last year, I finished my BA at Cal State Los Angeles. And that was my first time being in school while not being an athlete. Wow. So I was in this weird, like it was weird. Like I'd go to, <laughs> I'd go to school, go to class and go back home. Like that was a weird time for me. Yeah. And um, and this is in my, in my level of sacrifice story. But basically I, I completed 13 classes in a year. Wow. I took five in the fall semester and eight in the spring semester in order to graduate to get to Washington when I needed to. That's tough. And um, after that, I kept hearing, like, man, that's your inspiration. Like, that's inspirational. Like, and I was doing this thing on Twitter. or I think it was, it was Instagram. I was, like, basically taking everybody to school with me. Like, from day one to day whatever it was to end, wow. everybody basically seeing me go to school every day. So by the end of when I graduated, they was like, man, like, that was really inspiring. Like you forced me, like you in a sense forced me to go back to school. Yeah. And so inspiration was just a word that stuck with me. And Will Conroy one day said, inspiration lasts longer. Wow. And that kind of all, that kind of just always stuck with me. And I think at this point, I'm just to the point where coaches like, I think, I think I'll be good at this thing because I failed enough and I've also succeeded enough to know what both look like. Wow. And I, and I think if I can just, continue to inspire and just be someone that you know i grew up in Compton so if I can be someone that the, that the Compton kids on the block look up to and the high school kids who you know don't go division one right out of high school the kids who go division one and and they're struggling at it and have to leave like I can be I feel like I can be an inspiration for all those stories yeah and I think my at the end of the day I will be very gratified if at the end people just looked at me and just said I was just an inspiration that moved them to walk into their greatness. Wow. Um, 
whatever that looks like for them. Right, right. Coach, that's fantastic. Great perspective, man. Like, those are the type of things that, you know, I think every coach maybe doesn't verbalize, but I think we have that in our in our uh, toolbox waiting to just use inspirational moments and times to our advantage. And then sometimes we just realize, you know what, it's our lifestyle, man. It's what mm-hmm. we're doing on the day-to-day, not the – not the uh, the chalkboard material, uh, not the uh, big speech at halftime of a of a championship game, and and there's moments and there's times for all that. But I think at the end of the day, the day to day is what's going to kind of speak volumes about who we are. So I, I really appreciate you kind of bringing that perspective and the inspiration, man. Like I was inspired when I read your article, Coach. I'll be honest with you. I was like, man, this guy did what? And how how long did he do that? He got all those classes taken care of? <laughs> I was right. like, oh, my gosh. But, uh, right. you know, Coach, that just speaks to your fortitude and your desire and your will to succeed. And so when you say I want to be a Division coach, Division one coach one day, I believe it's going to happen, man. So I appreciate having you on, man. I really do love your love your story, uh, love your background. And, and uh, so here again, man, thank you for your time. Coach, I appreciate it, man. It was it was wonderful. Again, after talking to Mark Rogers about it and talking about you, and I actually listened to a, several of your podcasts prior to Mark's anyway, and I was I, I kind of get intrigued by the, the questions that people ask. Yeah. And because those are stuff where it's like if you're listening to something, you're like, man, I wish he would have asked yeah. this. Yeah. And you do a really good job of asking the right questions, I think, and getting out of getting a lot out of the time allotment that you have with whoever you're talking to. Thank you. Um, so for me to get on here, man, and just kind of share my stuff and be inspiration again, and you know, just you know, get out there and be beneficial to to the profession and to anybody looking to get into this thing, man. It was it was wonderful. I appreciate you. No, thank you, Coach. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to the Creative Coaching Podcast. You can find us at iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, and you can even follow us on Twitter at CreativeCoach47. Thank you.